Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The Seattle Seahawks, they wrap up their 2020 NFL season. It finishes with a loss to the division rival LA Rams, 30-20. The Seahawks allow 17 points in the second quarter on their way to the loss. And joining me here to talk about it is Mookie Alexander, the managing editor of Field Goals, as well as former managing editor and current contributor to Field Goals, John Morgan. Mookie, I, I'm going to start this off with a positive. I know people aren't tuning into this episode to hear a positive. Shoot, it might just be Rams fans that are tuning into this episode just for the schadenfreude of it. But I'm starting this off with a positive. And Mookie, Pete Carroll finished the season winning a spot challenge in the fourth quarter. Man, it feels good. Oh, yes, that, that was an excellent challenge. It was clearly a bad spot. Um, the referees got it wrong. And not only not only did he win the challenge, but they stopped the Rams on fourth and inches with Jared Goff with a broken thumb and all, curiously chosen to run a quarterback sneak. Seattle could have pulled to within seven points or even three. So the process <laughs> there by Pete, considering how god-awful the first challenge was, you know, that that's that's genius level stuff. Five more years. <laughs> John, uh, you know, this is it's it's tough to end the season with a loss, especially when it's up against a division rival um, that I, I kind of went through my list of positives. I may have one more that I could throw out there, but uh, anything for you to start off this episode? Positive. Well, the team still went 12 and four and it's a single elimination contest. So this stuff happens and it's a team that is built to stop the Seahawks. And so as soon as I saw that it was going to be the Rams, I mean, I dreaded this. I think that it greatly reduced the chances that the Seahawks were going to win this game because it's a they can treat this game like their Super Bowl. And I think they did. They sold out. They beat their, you know, division rival. And so I think if you were trying to look at what kind of team this is going into next season, it doesn't have an outsized effect. But as far as how it felt, it was like a rusty shiv to the gut being twisted for hour after hour. I mean, it was one of the least uh fun you know and that's not even the right word but i, I I'm, I'm biting my tongue because i want to say swear words it was just one of the worst experiences as far as watching a russell wilson-led team that i've ever had so uh, while we're just getting rid of all the positives obviously the seahawks are going to be hanging an nfc west title banner to start the season the rams can't say that they're probably going to lose next week anyway i don't know I, I think if seahawks fans were being honest with themselves even going back to the first eight games of the season, how it looks so much different from the final eight games of the season. Neither option of these two different versions of the Seahawks looked like a Super Bowl winning team. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, it, it looked like a team that uh, lost its identity. You're never going to be that bad on offense unless you've got some sort of historically great defense on your side. And I don't think the Seahawks ever attained anything like that. Yeah, it just didn't look like a contender. It was going to go on, you know, maybe it would go on one crazy run if someone got really hot. You get DK Metcalf playing like Larry Fitzgerald or something like that. But that seemed extremely unlikely. Mookie, where did this game go wrong in your mind? Uh, the opening kickoff. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, it, it was it's one of the worst performances I think the Seahawks have ever put together. And that includes the fact that they lost 42 to seven with the NFC West pretty much at stake 
back in 2017. Um, the defense, I think, did well enough, but the run defense, I knew that as soon as the run defense collapsed, it was going to be a long day. Um, and please, I don't think it has anything to do with them releasing snacks, Harrison. I, I, you know, get that garbage out of here. But Andrew Whitworth returning uh, for the Rams clearly made a difference. Um, the run fits that Seattle had success with in the previous two matchups, they were just getting blown off the line of scrimmage uh, far too often. Cam Akers looked really good. And that's another thing. Cam Akers didn't play in the last game. And you can tell that Akers provides something different compared to uh, Malcolm Brown or Daryl Henderson. He's fighting for extra yards. He's got a nice shiftiness and, and decent amount of speed to his game. But this is pretty much an offensive debacle. Yeah, you know, there's really no positives I can take from this. Like Carson ran hard, but, you know, 16 carries for 77 yards. Carson had a third and one stuff. Hyde had a third and one stuff. The offensive line played pretty poorly. I mean, they, they finally got their starting five back. And Eopati really looked like somebody who should not be on the roster in 2021. The injuries have finally caught up with him and the fact that he's just, he's up there in age. Dwayne Brown looked hobbled for a lot of the year and he, he gutted it out. He played quite well, but uh, he struggled. Damian Lewis was asked to block Aaron Donald one-on-one. -on -one. You know, I don't know what they thought would happen. And then Russell Wilson, that is, uh, that's a rotten performance. And I've said it before. I said it earlier in the week. Wilson has not produced a lot of great playoff performances. And in this case, the Rams are his bugaboo team. They've, they've always been. But even though the pick six is not really his fault, it's just telegraph play. And Darius Williams read it brilliantly. He was lucky not to throw two or three more interceptions or just turn the ball over a bunch more in general. And maybe this, this explains why the Seahawks had to rein in Wilson after his turnover fest in the middle of the season. A good set of the play calling by Schottenheimer today felt like they were scared of Wilson just kind of sabotaging the offense. And at times he kind of did. I'm just struggling to, to comprehend what I watched. Like the, the, I feared that this could happen because the Rams defense is honestly good enough to win a Super Bowl. But to actually see it play out at home and with the expectation that they would be able to, you know, just turn the light switch on and, and show us something different compared to the last several weeks of the regular season. It, it, it never materialized. It didn't even come remotely close. Yes, this will definitely go in the books as one of Russell Wilson's five worst playoff games. And it, it's right up there with the win against the Green Bay Packers in the NFC West Championship game. You know, he only uh, had like a 44 quarterback rating and he completed, you know, half of his passes, had four interceptions. Uh, the worst one, you know, it's funny looking at all of these terrible games for him. They they usually ended up in a win against Minnesota. It was the 10-9 game that should have been lo a loss if Blair Walsh had have actually made that uh, gimme kick at the end of the game that uh, he he hooked wide of the uprights. And then you have uh, the game against New Orleans in the 2014 postseason right before the NFC West Championship game with the 49ers. So, And he only completed 50% of his passes. He was 9 of 18, 103 yards in that game. But it was Marshawn Lynch and, you know, the defense really helping him win that game. So uh, really, if you look at his losses, it probably is up there with uh, the 2017 loss to Atlanta where, you know, he, he didn't have that great of a game either. So how about for you, John? Where did where did things go wrong in your mind? I would say with Schottenheimer, I mean, this was the worst performance I've ever seen by Wilson in the playoffs. And I think the big difference is that when he was younger, he would open up things for the run game and the run game was simply much more dynamic because that he could use decoy action to make some really big spaces for the running back. And that wasn't really there. He wasn't a credible threat as a rusher. And so he wasn't even helping the running game. Um, but what I saw from Wilson 
was him waiting again and again for very long developing routes. And because Wilson doesn't throw with anticipation, he he makes sure that he reads the guy is open and then throws afterward. It was just impossible. They were never going to have that kind of time in the pocket. And to be able to see that they weren't getting that time in the pocket when it was predictable that they wouldn't, and to not adjust and to still keep throwing the same kind of long developing routes where he was just going to have to stick back there until he was in a situation where he was going to have to be Houdini and he doesn't have that in his repertoire anymore. It was just one of the worst called games I can ever remember by an offensive coordinator. And I think that Russell Wilson is a human being and he has limitations as a quarterback and he can be played to his strength and he can be played to his weakness. I think he's a great quarterback and he has the ability to be great. And I think maybe a game like this would disqualify him from the conversation of the the truly inner circle great guys. But um, I don't blame him as much. It's certainly, like I said, I think the worst performance I've ever seen from him in the playoffs. But he was not given a chance to succeed, given his skills, his talents, the opposition he was facing, the game script. It was hopeless, and it was so futile, and it was so frustrating to see so little change. And for him to continually sit back there, facing pressure, having free pass rushers in the backfield, and left to either make a hopeless throw into coverage because the route had gone stale or attempt to scramble when they, everyone was sitting on him scrambling. It was just, it was dire. And as much as the defense obviously could not step up enough to win the game, they were stressed so hard. And so was the special teams. And I think that if you continually cannot keep an offense on the field, you know, for long enough to give a chance for the defense to um, to rest, to feel like they're not going to have to carry the entire game. And this this defense isn't capable of that. But I think they could be capable of more if they simply were not asked to do everything. And I think when the advanced stats come out, we're going to be floored. And, and, and maybe defense-adjusted ones are going to be a little kinder. But as far as just pure expected points added, I think we're going to be floored because I saw a game where the offense not only accomplished virtually nothing on its own, but it continually put the defense into bad situations. Well, while we're on play calling, I I think my initial reaction of it, of where this went wrong is on a lot of these second downs. They in several times throughout this game, guys, there was second and six, second and four. And in those situations, I saw them go to the air. And and like you were saying, John, a lot of these long developing pass plays, that either resulted in a sack or resulted in an incompletion. I looked at the way they ran the ball on second down, and they they seemed to have a lot more success. They just didn't do it. With this season, Wilson asserted his will to be more of a pass-first quarterback. That's his prerogative. I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. The NFL tends to serve passing. They protect passing. Uh, Championship teams are almost always exceptional at passing. And it maybe Wilson felt like he had hit his cap as a play action quarterback who has to depend on the run to set things up. And so I understand his individual desire to try to shift the offense to something where he can show his skills as a quarterback. But that's not who Brian Schottenheimer is. I've never seen him coach uh, like that. I think he wanted to run. I think he had to create some sort of um, abomination, you know, abomination, some sort of bizarre mix between his his desire to run and his desire to run play action and Russell Wilson's desire to air it out. And you saw all sorts of these, these, these compromises that were working to the disfavor of both parties. It was the same thing like when as soon as Metcalf started being furious because he thought he was getting open, he thought he was not being given opportunities to try to win his 
matchup with Ramsey and that he was essentially being said to be shut down because Wilson would not risk throwing it toward Ramsey. They forced a pass to him and it became so obvious that it was going to be a pass to him. There was, you know, there was this vibe in the stadium, you know, or at least what you would feel from from being at home, that this was this was such a telegraph play. And of course, Swain's got to make the block and that would his block and his failure to block, of course, is a big difference between that being batted down or a simple interception and it being a pick six. But that's what happens. You put a rookie in a tough situation and the bright lights, they've never been. So that's that's again, that's a total failure of play calling. You can't let yourself be bullied into bad decisions. You can't let yourself feel like you're serving 15 different masters. And it just felt like Shoddy lost the thread. He could not call the game the way he wanted to. And he could not call the game the way Wilson wanted him to. Yeah, Schottenheimer did not call a good game at all. I thought the sequencing was just way out of whack. They ran on first and 10 far too often to the point where it was incredibly predictable. Um, you look at the expected points at it, and I think the pick six is going to skew this a bit. Uh, the early downs, Seattle actually had better success running the ball than they did passing. I, I believe the interception was on second down, um, but whatever the case, late downs killed the Seahawks because they were just – unable to have a consistent third down offense all season. And frankly speaking, Wilson has never been consistently good at third down, whether with Bevel or Schottenheimer, but they were two of 14 and that's ruinously bad. And it's not like they were constantly in third and 25 or third and 20. They got into those spots, but they had third and six and third and four. And if there's going to be anything damning of Schottenheimer in particular, it's that the third down offense is, is really uninspiring. It is either a long shot or a route short of the sticks with guys who do not get yards after the catch. And um, that's also a personnel failure, but that's, you know, that's something we can discuss another day. 11 first downs overall for Seattle, and it really felt like the last four or five came in garbage time. Wilson really struggled with just getting rid of the ball in a timely manner. He, he was double clutching a lot. You look at the running game, Carson was fine, except for a couple of those short yardage plays. But Hyde really did nothing of value. And then they ran one jet sweep all game. And that was a four-yard run with David Moore. It was uninspired. And it really has me wondering about the long-term viability of the Wilson-Schottenheimer relationship. Because for all of the things we can praise Schottenheimer for, as far as improving Wilson, because it really looked like Wilson was starting to slide at the end of the Bevel era, Russell Wilson, mid-30s and beyond, is something that Seattle really has to take a look at on a couple of fronts. One, what is the best way to maximize the fact that Wilson is not in his athletic prime? He clearly isn't. He's not as fast as he used to be. And because he doesn't do design runs on a consistent basis anymore, it's completely changed the aspect of the Seahawks run-in game where it's a lot more traditional and you don't have to worry about Wilson as a threat of a, of a runner unless it's in a scramble drill. And then the second part is, and this is not say replace Wilson in 2021 or anything, if Wilson has more bad games like these or if he gets beaten up on a week-in and week-out basis like he did in this game, He's not indestructible. He is going to get hurt at some point. He already did get hurt four years ago or five years ago. They should really consider looking at a quarterback in the middle, you know, in the mid rounds, the same area where Wilson got drafted, third through fifth, not a QB controversy uh, or anything of that nature, but I would like a better plan B than Geno Smith. And I'd like them to be a lot more forward thinking and acknowledging that Wilson does not have nearly the extended window of greatness that I think we hoped he would have. There's a lot of things that I've not seen, or rather I've not liked out of Wilson over the last several weeks. And it's funny because we started the season talking about let Russ cook and drastically changing the offense. Well, what you have is a run first offensive coordinator and a run first head coach 
doing something they don't like to do. And the offense is not designed to be pass first. And by the end of the season, Russell Wilson ends up getting arguably outplayed by both Jared Goff and John Wolford in tandem. It's funny if you're a fan of content, but it's devastating if you're a Seahawks fan. Well, Mookie, you're, you're getting into some topics that I would definitely want to hit in the second half. So let's do that. Let's get to the second half of this episode. I, I want to talk about some of the storylines in the offseason, but let's hit on the quarterbacks, too, for the Rams coming up next. Joined by John Morgan and Mookie Alexander of Field Goals, breaking down this playoff loss by the Seahawks. Just, what, the second time the Seahawks have lost in the wild card round in Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson's tenure because it was the the Dallas game that was lost just a couple of years ago and uh, this one right here. So definitely not something that you're used to. I want to go back to something you said, Mookie, because, yes, Russell Wilson getting outplayed by Jared Goff and uh, John Wolford. Because going into this game, I, I looked at it from a couple different perspectives in that I, I thought that Wolford brought a little added dynamic to the offense for the Rams. But I, but I did have the sense that Jared Goff would be maybe the better quarterback if this were a close game late in the game. And yet even I, I think you definitely have to point to the fact that this defense could not stop the run because Jared Goff didn't even complete his sixth pass of the entire game until the drive late in the game where they kicked the field goal to go up by 10 points. You can't even point to a, really a good game by Jared Goff in this. Yeah, it tells you something that golf wasn't very good and nobody should have expected it. One, he's, he's got the broken thumb. And two, when he's got two fully functioning hands, he can have games that look exactly like that anyway. So with Wolford, hopefully he's all right. I guess he's already been discharged from the hospital. But, oh, you know, that was kind of a scary thing with, with the, uh, the neck injury. But Wolford presented a mobile quarterback problem for Seattle. And unfortunately, for his first design run of the game, he ends up getting knocked out of the game. Goff didn't really do anything spectacular. He, he might have had like two really stupid moments. Like I, he almost ran himself to a safety and then almost turned it into an interception. But the running game working meant that Goff didn't have to do a whole lot. And Cam Akers finished with 131 yards on 28 carries and a touchdown. And he was also quite valuable as a receiver, too. He had the big 44-yard uh, catch and run that led to their touchdown right before halftime. And that was on a third and nine. To me, the turning point of the game, because it's 13-10, if the Rams don't convert there, then Seattle gets the ball back and they probably punt it anyway. But at least, you know, you could do with 13 to 10 at halftime. But instead, Akers gets free as a safety valve, gets beyond Jamal Adams, who, let, let's be real here, he should not have played. Or at least Ryan Neal should have taken a lot of his snaps because he wasn't healthy whatsoever. No. And then he, it turns into a touchdown eventually. But he, this was uh, not just McVay outcoaching Carroll. It was also Brandon Staley badly outcoaching Brian Schottenheimer. I think Staley, because he's carved out of that Fangio mold. He, he was with Chicago. And historically speaking, Wilson has also struggled against Fangio defenses time and time again. He, he's rarely been outstanding against that style. And Staley, he, even with Aaron Donald out of the game, the Seahawks offense arguably performed worse. Right. And, and that was troubling to me. That's when I know everything was completely off the rails. And if I'm going to defend Wilson just a tad, um, the pass block win rate, which I think is a, a kind of a very, very dubious new advanced metric here their pass block win rate today was 50 percent. the rams was 65 percent, and 50 percent is not good whatsoever i don't want a 50 50 pass block win rate and uh the drops metcalf had another drop although it really didn't matter at the end and hollister was just a mess jacob hollister was terrible and i do not understand why he got so many targets today it really tells you why they drafted parkinson as well because hollister is a wide receiver in tight ends clothing 
And he also had a bad miss blocked on a, a failed third and one. Mm-hmm. Disley had a drop. He had one catch for one yard. So hopefully Colby Parkinson ends up being the guy because Seattle had so many tight ends and yet at the same time, such little talent on the field. Yeah, I mean, and you look at that Hollister miss walk and it's another situation where you're asking a guy to do something that you know he's not very good at. So why put him in that position? So the play calling is just very questionable. Um, I think that, you know, I can't defend Russell Wilson's performance. That would be, you know, beyond the abilities of anyone. But the question is, is what was he being asked to do? And when I watched what he was doing, if you have a 50% pass block win rate, and that that squares with what I saw, I'm uh, tough on Wilson because he often runs his blockers into terrible situations, but there were there were pass rushers streaming into the backfield so fast he wasn't even seeing the end of the routes to be able to try to make a target. And so why don't they go shorter? They had to be able to anticipate that the Rams were going to have trouble moving the ball, that they could bet against the Rams' offense, that they did not have to be a big play offense, but did not be able to achieve anything because they seemed to be so fixated on the deep ball or getting Metcalf stats or whatever the heck seemed to be their conflicting desires, their conflicting motives, their you know, their conflicting objectives, so that they did not seem to have anything coherent. And that's just staggering. I mean, you can you can even read into Chris Carson's body language. The guy seems tremendously impatient without infrequently he touched the ball. I don't think he thought he was doing anything wrong or anything to uh not deserve more touches. And when you try to figure out when you talk about sequencing and punt run pass ratio, you run into this problem of if you watch a game and a run gets stuffed, it becomes very hard to run it again. And so practically speaking, you say, well, how do you achieve this run pass ratio? And it's not as easy as continuing to run the ball if it's not working or passing in surprise situations or something like that. You have to build an entire game plan that can weather good and bad and still be able to hit some sort of objective where you've got the opposing defense not aware of exactly what's going to happen. And they just, they just sat on the pass and they knew that their front seven or whatever we call in, you know, 2021, I guess it probably more like a front two, but they knew that they would be able to win enough of those matchups and that the run game was never going to be committed to, and it was never going to be dynamic enough that they would, they would be able to just lose from a few big splash plays that they put the ball in Wilson's court. And they said, can you beat us in a way that's not comfortable for you? And, And I mean, obviously the word is out that Russell Wilson likes to throw it deep, with Metcalf, he doesn't even seem to like some of the more practical routes that Lockett can run, which are middle deep. He seems to want to hit the home run ball. And I, I don't think I've ever seen a team so fall apart because they seem to get an idea in their head about what they were supposed to be and how they were supposed to win. And no matter how little it worked, they would not change. It kind of feels like the story of the the second half of the season from what I'm hearing you say, John. Yeah. So. I'm curious, in your mind, let's talk about just some of the off-season storylines moving forward. What's one of the number one things for you, John, that that you expect Seahawks fans to be talking about now going into the off-season? Not getting worse. I mean, they put a lot of eggs in the basket of, of the 2020 season. They do not have a first-round pick, and while we can use caveman logic and say they don't usually do well on first-round picks, the fact is they could potentially trade out and get more picks. They could just, you know, uh, trends change. It's not enough of a trend that we can necessarily read any sort of meaningful information, so they could have had a great player with that first-round pick, and they're not going to have that. The cap is likely to shrink. They have a very expensive quarterback. Uh, I think the coaching is going to be in flux. I think they keep Norton. Norton seems to be really in sync with this defense and the the sense of improvement, even though it's somewhat hard to know how much they actually improve because they face such weak competition 
and almost any defense can potentially step up when they're facing very weak competition. What to do with Jamal Adams? I think I'll float an idea that's probably likely to be hated by most, but I wouldn't mind selling them for for undervalue, you know, under what they spent, easily under what they spent to try to recoup some of their draft picks. I don't think he's a good fit. I don't think that you necessarily want a strong safety whose primary value is pass rushing. He seemed to have a really bad game. Like Mookie said, he didn't necessarily even see why he should be out there. He alligator armed that tackle. That seemed to be one of the big turning points of the game. He just didn't seem to be moving well. He clearly has struggles in coverage. He does not see the ball well, so that even when he's near a receiver, he's not necessarily making an effective play on the ball. I think they have to manage their resources. They should supposedly be in the beginning of a new window or in the middle of a new window. And there is a distinct possibility that they actually crumble a bit because they have they have put a lot of value into what was going to happen this season for it to fizzle. They are in a tough spot. And so I think that is how do you take a really bad situation and nevertheless get better? How about for you, Mookie? What, what do you see this offseason being like as far as storylines go? Just from a sentimental standpoint, I hope that we didn't see K.J. Wright's final game as a Seahawk because he was magnificent throughout this year. Uh, I do have a lot of hope for Jordan Brooks. And what I'd never thought I'd see, especially at the, the beginning of the year and through midseason, is that I have a lot more hope for the defense. And that's whether Norton's retained or not. And I think he'll be retained. I have a lot more hope for the defense in the long term than I do the offense because the defense has got some young emerging talent if they keep Adams. He's still in his mid-20s, then, of course, they're going to have to pay him significantly. But Quandre Diggs is somebody I love watching. Ditto Ugo Amadi. Um, Shaquille Griffin is a free agent. I don't know whether the Seahawks would keep him. I don't think there's going to be a particularly hot market for him. But there's a lot of young, exciting talent mixed in with the fact that you have veterans like Bobby Wagner and Carlos Dunlap. And at this point, Jaron Reed might as well be a veteran. That can contribute on a fairly consistent and positive basis. Uh, but the offense, like I said, Wilson's going to be 33 this year. and I'm wondering if because he's not in his athletic prime as a runner, he's not a worse overall quarterback for it. Like he's clearly a better pocket passer. And the 2018 and 2019 seasons showed his legitimate improvements as a pure pocket passer. But because he's not at his peak athleticism the way he was in 2012 through, I'd say, 2015, it, it makes me wonder how much longer that window of contention actually lasts, uh, to allude to, to John's point. Because if these last several weeks our tipping point for us seeing the beginning of the end of Russell Wilson, then 2021 could be a really, really long year. But if not, and this was just a, a real serious bump in the road and they have to really retool this offense in the offseason, then I think they should still be fine because they have enough talent uh, overall. But offensively, they need to retool that running back position because I like Carson, but he's a free agent. He's not a lock to stay. I don't think Carlos Hyde will stay. Rashad Penny's durability is a problem because – he contributed. He really shouldn't have even been on the field. He looked super rusty in his limited snaps this year, and he tweaked his knee on Thursday. That's why he didn't even play on Saturday. And then I don't really see anything out of DJ Dallas or Travis Homer that makes you think they absolutely need to be on the team next year. They could do with another wide receiver. I would not be shocked if more ends up going at free agency because the free agent market is going to be really off the charts. And uh, this is going to be a semi-controversial opinion. If, if John's going to have one about Adams, <laughs> I, I really... I'm wondering how much longer we're going to see Tyler Lockett on the Seahawks. I don't remember his contract situation offhand. Of course, he did have a hundred catch here, but it was much less explosive compared to his previous seasons. I think the broken leg really sapped him of his speed and Seattle just needs more speed on offense. And this is something that I've been banging on about for a while that the Seahawks team speed that made him so brilliant on defense in the Legion of Boom days that went away for a bit. I think they're bringing it back. So that's a positive, but in the offense, 
Wilson's uh, is not at his, his peak speed anymore. Carson is not really all that fast. He can have some short burst quickness, but not breakaway speed. Penny, you don't know what you have in him any, at this point, given his injuries. And then Metcalf is essentially the only speed burner. But, you know, teams can scheme that out for as long as Schottenheimer is the offensive coordinator, at least. And then there's just no speed at the tight end position. So this is a league that I think is shifting towards speed over size. And if you can get a combination of the two like Metcalf, then you're golden. But uh, they really have to refocus their drafting over the next off couple of off seasons on making sure the Seahawks are a faster team because they just not only look bad because the Rams were quicker to the ball, but they just looked a step slow all afternoon and for a good chunk of the second half of the season. There's definitely a lot of different areas where we're going to see moves made that, uh, that's going to be critical for this team. And if this is going to be a Seahawks offense that is going to develop into a more of a passing team, if that's where they see the direction going, then, you know, with Mike Upati, I, I could see this being his last year. You know, Dwayne Brown, I don't know more how many more years we're going to get out of him. So definitely a lot to watch. And, you know, to go back to the draft, you, you guys kind of narrowing in on, on some of the questions that are going to come up with the draft, because with the Seahawks only having three draft choices, yeah, could Jamal be the guy that goes? I joke that we're going to hear from the national media, Mookie, that uh, Russell Wilson being traded in the offseason to get picks for as much as we heard about potential for Deshaun Watson being traded just over the last couple of days. I, I feel like that's got to sneak in there somewhere. Well, I hope that the Wilson for Watson trade talk is more, you know, I've seen it on social media quite a bit jokingly, but I hope it's not an actual serious thing. Even though I love Deshaun Watson, he has an actual serious injury history dating back to college. And if you think Wilson's taken a beating over the years, just watch Watson in Houston. And much like Wilson, he's responsible for a lot of his own uh, sacks. But as far as the draft pick situation, yeah, they, they kind of screwed themselves as far as making this all-in trade for Adams. And now it's just been revealed as we're recording this that Adams played with a torn labrum as a result of the hit he took last week. So that's all the more reason that he should not have played. Um, George that's... Kittle played with a torn labrum for like an entire year. Yes, but George Kittle is George Kittle, and he, <laughs> he seems to be Superman until he isn't. He, he just yeah. doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. He's retired but, in know, five years, but, right? Yeah. Adams, you know, Adams toughed it out, but, man, he, he, he hurt the team a lot more than he helped. And I'm not sure that Ryan Neal at, at full strength – would have been a downgrade. In fact, we've seen a lot of Ryan Neal this year to think that he's a capable starting safety without him being like ruinously bad or anything like that. Plus, you have the other question mark is, what do you do with Marquise Blair? Because he missed pretty much the entire season. Where does he fit in this this defense? But yeah, the the, the draft is going to be fascinating. I don't think we're going to see Wilson traded. We've seen this rumor, what, four seasons Oh, no, in a no, I, we're definitely not going to see Wilson traded. I'm just saying that for the national media, that's going to be a talking point. They love to talk about Russell Wilson leaving Seattle. Yeah, but they do this for this is going to be for a different reason, though, because the last couple of playoff exits, it's been, well, they ran the ball too much and then they waited until the second half to unleash Wilson. They're holding him back. They're holding the whole offense back. And as such, Wilson's to go to a team where they're going to treat him properly and he's going to be in this proactive pass first offense. that looks like Kansas City's 2021. It's a bit different because now it looks like Wilson's actually been part of the problem. And he certainly was a major part of the problem today. And it actually does have me worried in the long term whether Wilson can actually work in a pass-first offense. And the only way to test that while he's still on the Seahawks is Shotty has to go. And I'm not going to advocate for firing Schottenheimer necessarily. You might not have to. You might not have to. He might get one of these head coaching jobs. Well, if he does, uh, that was not a great audition tape he put on today. Uh, if, if they do end up losing Shotty, 
Carroll is going to have to uh, really come to grips with what he wants this offense to be because he tends to be quite reactive as far as what he does the ensuing offseason. 2014, we know what happened in the Super Bowl. They had no targets to tight ends in that game. They trade for Jimmy Graham the next year. 2012, they really didn't have, they had quote-unquote pedestrian receivers, so they trade for Percy Harvin. That didn't work out very well. 2019, we saw Tedrick Thompson. They trade for Jamal Adams the next year to help both the run defense and the pass rush. And, uh, of course, 2017, the run game was so bad that they drafted Rashad Penny in the first round. So I'm wondering what he sees in 2020 that will make him focus obsessively on this specific aspect of Seahawks football in 2021. So, John, let's close this out. If you had one bold move for the Seahawks to make this offseason, I I think you kind of hinted at it. I'd be open to trading Adams. I mean, I, I don't think he's a good fit, and I do not like the idea of a defensive back who seems to both have struggles in coverage as far as his assignments and communication and also doesn't seem to have any ball skills. But I think the biggest, boldest move has to be to find an offensive coordinator who can find some sort of um, workable middle between Carroll's steadfast belief that you have to establish the run and that it helps to, uh, you know, it helps facilitate the defense and it's just overall what winning football is about. And Wilson's desire to be a quarterback who's no longer questioned about his greatness. I mean, we're talking about people and we're talking about styles and we're talking about, you know, beliefs and ideas and no one knows the exact right answer. And I don't think that you can just grab somebody who's saying the right buzzwords and seems to be pass friendly or seems to be analytics friendly and say he's definitely going to be a good offensive coordinator. I think that you actually need someone who has shown that they know how to unite these two separate halves of the, you know, of, of offensive football and could do it well, because when they brought in Schottenheimer, I think that they were saying, let's try to build Russell Wilson, you know, or rebuild him around being a play action quarterback because he's not going to be able to scramble and evade guys and find outlet receivers for big plays down the field forever. So we have to figure out some sort of consistent, steady, reliable way that he can excel. And when this whole thing went down, which is one of the reasons I think I was so frustrated with him, I was so unhappy about it, it felt like one of the first times that it, Wilson was in his own way putting himself ahead of the good of the football team. He wanted something. It was important to him. It was personally important to him. I think he's sick of being questioned. I think he's sick of being told that he is just a game manager or he's someone who was only carried by a great defense. And you know what? The way that they're paying him and that the fact that he's a human being and he has individual desires, I don't know how you get around finding a way to give him the kind of passing stats and the kind of at least reasonably pass-first offense that will allow him to you know, to preserve his pride and to feel like he is getting what he wants and find fulfillment and learning a new offense. So I think the big move has to be getting Shadi out of there as soon as it was obvious that it was not going to be his style play. And, I, you know, maybe the guy has completely changed his stripes. And in one offseason that happened to coincide with a popular movement about getting Russell Wilson to throw the ball more, he decided he was going to figure out how to do it. But to me, it looked like you gutted an offense that was supposed to be built around running the ball and moving the defensive backs and linebackers around through running the ball and getting that underneath coverage drawn in and getting the kind of matchups that you want and the slowing the pass rush. You can get those longer developing routes. You gutted that kind of offense and you reduced it to something that was pass first without the intimidation factor of an actual run game, a committed run, you know, committed to a run game. And it completely fell apart I, early in the year. 
there was essentially no offseason. And if you have a team like Seattle, who has for years been the most run heavy or one of the most run heavy offenses in football, you're going to face game plans. They're not going to anticipate that you're going to be throwing that much. And so that success, well, I don't think it is something that we should excuse. I think it is part of the bigger picture. It It's not surprising that Seattle had was able to ambush a few teams and pass when they were anticipating run. But as soon as word was out, that they were trying to pass the ball and they would pass the ball and they would pass down, you know, pass and running downs and that they were seemingly almost reluctant to run the ball, then it became so easy to game plan against them. And there just wasn't that corresponding move by Seattle to adjust. And it it was the, it, to me, it was the the beginning of the end of the season. And I, I don't think Wilson is a quarterback who can do anything. I don't think any quarterback can do everything. You know, I mean, you could take Tom Brady and you take him out of that system that he's mastered and you have him doing stuff that he doesn't want to do and that is uh, that is highlighting his weaknesses or playing him against the what he has mastered, what he has proven that he can be good at. He's going to be a bad quarterback, too. And maybe Brady and some of these guys like Manning, part of their their brilliance is that they know what they can do and they absolutely insist that they get the players they need around them and they have the kind of system in place that that maximizes their strengths. And Wilson has to have that kind of reckoning because it can't just be. I'm going to you know, file for a trademark for some slogan and that's how we're going to do it because everything's going to work out and I'm that great. And it's, it's just, it's pure competition neglect. The other team is good. The other team is trying to beat you. You cannot do anything you want. You have to have a mixed approach that can react to any sort of defense. And they didn't. And, and even beyond just how bad the stats were, I think anyone who watched that would say that was a malfunctioning offense because it wasn't as if there were these close 50-50 plays where if he just got the ball out a little quicker or he just was a little off or the receiver dropped it over and over again. We're talking about play after play where the play broke down so badly that Wilson was left improvising and facing pass rusher in the backfield. And that's like back to the dark old devil days. And that's a, that's a bad offense. And so I think that's the bold move. Find someone can give Wilson what he wants and Carol what he wants without having something like this that looks so limited and so malfunctioning and like half an offense that I don't know that any quarterback could have executed it. Mookie, it sounds like we're going to have a lot of offseason content on field goals that will be challenging that Russell Wilson neutral mindset. Yeah, I think we got to have a real reckoning about the, the let Russ cook movement, which uh, I did notice got a lot quieter over the second half of the season. I started out the year supporting it because I think a lot of People got broken by the playoff loss to the Cowboys. Well, now we have to realize it's okay if Russell Wilson, as John Morgan said, can't do everything. It's possible that he cannot really consistently excel in a pass-first offense. And like I said, it could change if they sack Schottenheimer and get a different offensive coordinator who can run a pass-first offense pretty efficiently and much more effectively, run different route concepts and have Wilson playing differently, or going back to some of his, his strengths. Like, we're not going to go back to the read option era because that's just not going to happen. He's not really capable of scaring defenders that way anymore. But the play action heavy stuff in 2018 and parts of 2019, that's what Wilson does best. And what is humorous to me is you look at the Tennessee Titans. They're a lot like the Seahawks of 2018, except with a much worse defense and that they have this dominant running game. Tannehill has legitimately been outstanding this year with the fewest passing attempts in the league. And that's what people killed Seattle for. And now it's something that could actually make the Titans legitimate contenders, if not for how bad their defense is. Uh, Now, I don't want to go back to that. I I don't think Seattle really has the horses for that. But still, it's a way to win. And Seattle seems more comfortable with that. Moving forward, you look at this offseason. We didn't bring up the offensive line too much. 
but they really have to retool there. They got no choice. Postick's a free agent, I believe. Dwayne Brown is is well into his 30s. He's on the other side of 35, I believe. Iwapati looked done. Jordan Simmons, he's a good you know backup guard, but he's not healthy enough to consistently be relied upon. Shell is okay, and you know Obwehi and those other guys are just filler. And I brought up Posick earlier. Posick had one of his worst games of the season. Yeah, bad snaps, unable to maintain his blocks, fallen flat on his backside too often. It was just a total failure across the board. Holding penalties. So we didn't even talk about the penalties in this game. Yes, horrible discipline by the the offense. The defense, I don't think, actually had but what one penalty in the game, which is a neutral zone infraction on right. Puna Ford, who by the way should be paid this offseason. He's been unreal. And even the special teams, DJ Reed, God bless him. I think he was just trying to make a play on that punt return. And it's a good punch out by Ebucom. You know, it's really hard to hold on to the ball when you got that Charles Tillman style punch out going and ended up effectively ending the game. Not that the offense was really going to do much with it, but it was a critical turnover. It's just other than Jason Myers, who did his job and remained fantastic. It was failure from top to bottom, from the coaching staff all the way to the players. And of course, Carroll's got to own up to some of this, too, because his conservatism of not going for it on fourth down uh, until he absolutely had to. And yeah, it might have been better to trust Myers than to trust this offense. But uh, you, you really need seven. And they didn't even get seven in the second half until it was too late. So, oh, and let's not forget, I know we're running along here. What in the world was that fourth and one where Lewis went down injured and they had five hours to figure out a play call and they end up false starting and punting the ball away? That looked like a poorly coached team. And that's something I've not really said much this season. That looks something closer to the 2017 team where there had to be a shakeup of the coaching staff because they look so dysfunctional. Yeah, that was definitely a disaster. You know, that that is a good place to end it, Mookie, because coming up next, we are going to be doing the three in, three out show with Clinton Bonner. You can tweet at him at Clinton Bon. You can use the hashtag 3i3o. And that series right there is something I'm sure that we're going to be talking about in that show because holy smokes it took russ 15 seconds just to get the playoff inside the huddle and then they end up false starting and uh yeah a disastrous series when they were down 10 points when they needed an opportunity to get back in the game but like it was going yeah it uh, it wasn't likely so more to talk about with this game more to talk about throughout the offseason john mookie appreciate you coming on i know we're going to be talking throughout the offseason so until then go hawks <laughs> 